Welcome to the Residential Movement. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Robinson, a house call dentist with a lot of passion for dental home care. I'm here to encourage, equip, and empower dentists like you to begin offering dental services at the residences of patients who are best served at home. Listen in as we talk dentistry, business, ethics, mindset, and more, and learn how you can become a part of the Residential Movement. As a house call dentist, you'll be serving patients who are best served at home. This can mean any patient with limited mobility, cognitive impairment, emotional limitations, phobias, or special needs. A patient population that fits most of the criteria on this list is the elderly population, many of whom are nearing the end of their life. For a common dental, my dental home care practice, hospice is one of my biggest referral sources. Yes, patients do still need a dentist even while in hospice care. Patients do not want to suffer from dental ailments while they're trying to enjoy their remaining time with loved ones. As much as I want all of you to become house call dentists, I acknowledge that dental home care isn't for everyone. I really feel like it's a calling. If you're called into this line of work, consider it a privilege and pursue dental home care. You can be a blessing to a lot of patients and they'll be a blessing to you. It's a privilege to meet someone at this stage of life. The honor of someone sharing their limited time with me is never lost on me. Of course, dealing with frequent loss is challenging. Sometimes it seems like I'm sending more sympathy cards than appointment reminders, and it can be very overwhelming. Still, if you feel called to this field, you'll keep providing care even when it gets hard. Soon, you'll be listening to an interview between myself and Dr. Joy Poscosum. She has many years of experience as a house call dentist serving the geriatric population in Chicago, Illinois, including hospice patients. Aside from being an active clinician, she's a very active dental educator. You'll quickly pick up on her knowledge and passion in this interview, so please enjoy. The reason I wanted to speak to you today and have you on to visit with me and the residential movement listeners is because you and I both treat a really particular patient population that a lot of dentists don't treat. And today we're talking specifically about patients who are in hospice care. So tell me about how you got started treating patients in hospice care and what your experiences with them has been. Absolutely. So I first started treating patients outside of the home because of my grandmother and she needed a new lower partial denture and I did it in her home. And then she went to church. It was the only place that she would go to and told everyone at her women's, um, luncheon that she, that I make house calls that she, that I made her denture, you know, And I'm like, ah, but, you know, it turned out to be a really good thing. The first patient that I saw for who was also, you know, families of parishioners of that church was someone in hospice and she had um, suffered from a stroke um, two years prior. And the, the chief complaint was that they couldn't understand why there was a smell coming from her, you know, from their grandmother's mouth, the mother's mouth, because they brush her teeth every day, which is amazing. So I go in there and it turns out that she actually had two complete dentures, that she had no teeth and that she never told her daughter, her granddaughter of this treatment. Now I gotta tell you, these dentures were amazing. I mean, they looked really realistic. At the same time, you know, that's when it got me thinking, you know, it's like, well, okay, she's brought to the hospital and this is, you know, 17 years ago, right? So this is before COVID, you know, all they wanna do is get her stable, right? They had to put in a G-tube. She no longer could swallow. And uh, because now she's paraplegic and get her out of the hospital, right? They don't want her to get any, you know, secondary infections. Totally cool. I'm cool with that. 
as far as the medical community was concerned, her mouth was no longer viable. So bring her to home and now she's getting home care, but the home health care providers didn't bother to look in the mouth. And it, they, they relied on the information from the daughter and the granddaughter of what was going on in her mouth. They're like, no, we're taking care of it. You know, we've got this. So they just kind of ignored the mouth, relying on, you know, technically the medical power of attorney, who was her daughter. And that really made me become an advocate on oral care for those in the hospice situation, because when hospice, we've got so many other things going on. We want this patient to be comfortable. We want this patient to have, you know, a, a decent quality of life during this time. And I've actually had at least three patients um, I'm not going to say because of, you know, getting dentures and they're able to eat okay that I help them get out of hospice, but it was part of the process of getting them to be healthy again so that they could recover. Wow. And it was really amazing that, you know, that that happened. And so hospice doesn't always have to equal end of life. Um, one particular patient um, that I could think of in the Chicago suburbs that I was going to visit needed a new upper complete denture and a new lower partial denture. And she was on pureed foods, totally lucid, hated the foods that she was eating, you know, didn't want to eat, uh, failure to thrive. And, uh, you know, and then we made, you know, I was able to make her a new denture. The hospital lost her upper denture and the lower partial, which happens a lot. And now she's actually able, you know, to eat um, foods that she wanted to eat. And it was amazing. And, and, and she started to gain weight and this was great. She was so happy. That is great. And yeah, it was, it was a wonderful thing. So we, when, when it comes to hospice, we have to think about the entire body and, you know, nutrition starts in the mouth. If we can eat, if we can chew foods, and if we're happy with what we're eating, then we can be happy about other parts of our lives. You're absolutely right. I think that the quality of life for anybody begins in the mouth. And it's very important that we all take care of our oral health. And you don't really, I mean, at least it isn't common to hear a lot of recovery stories um, out of hospice. So it's amazing what, oh, what dentures can it's do rare. for people. I got it. Yeah, no, it's, it's rare, you know, but I've been, you know, it's been, you know, it's been a wonderful experience to be able to help along, you know, with the hospice team to say, hey, you know, what, what can we do for this person? So, you know, yes, you know, this person is terminal, but at the same time, can they be eating the things that they want to be eating? Because there is pleasure in eating, right? We do, we do find pleasure in eating the foods that we want to, especially over the holidays. We want to have, you know, you know, that um, recipe that's been passed down forever, let's say sugar cookies. You know, we want to be able to enjoy that and experience that, and not just experience it for ourselves, but with, with the family. No, I agree with you. Food is so much more than just bodily nourishment and nutrition. It is culture. It's family. It's everything that you're saying. So the ability to enjoy food at the end of your life is something that people, I think, underestimate. Absolutely. So beyond dentures for people who are patients in hospice care, have you had any other treatment experiences? Absolutely. So it is, I want to start off by saying it's so important that we don't drop the habit of brushing teeth and taking care of teeth. Um, if we still have teeth, uh, and some people have, you know, more than others. And it's like, well, you know, the patient only has two teeth in their mouth. Well, the, that's fine, but these two teeth still need to be taken care of. And so, you know, brushing twice a day, flossing, you know, if possible, and then using a mouthwash. And at this time, there's tends to be a lot of dry mouth. 
So what I like to recommend are simple over-the-counter products that you know are very helpful in keeping the mouth stable and comfortable so that they can be enjoying you know, their foods. Alongside of that, yes, teeth do break, especially with women. As women, we are five times more likely than men to lose teeth in our lifetimes, and we lose oral bone at a 20% faster rate. So it is very important that, especially this is also pre, peri and post-menopause. So this is incredibly important that, you know, that the teeth, that even if there's only a few teeth that they're being taken care of so that we don't get a toothache, so that a tooth doesn't break. Osteopenia, osteoporosis, osteoarthritis are very, very common. And unfortunately our bones get brittle. Guess what? Teeth are made of the same stock. You know, they come from the same stock. So our teeth are going to get brittle too. And something that you and I can eat isn't going to necessarily be something that they can eat. Like uh, the first thing I think of that's healthy is like a baby carrot, right? You and I can eat those, but you know, with someone who is older and has, you know, potentially has one of these bone problems, they're going to have a problem with the teeth as well. So yes, teeth can break. And a lot of times it's due to trauma. So if a tooth is, you know, really cutting into the area, there's one or two things that are going to happen. One, the tooth will soften over time just from normal usage and brushing and everything. And the tongue potentially can get used to it. The flip side of that is that let's say that doesn't happen. And that does. And I would say 50-50. It's about 50-50. Then the tooth would have to come out. And during hospice, I have taken teeth out because we don't want someone passing from uh, an abscess, a tooth abscess. Right. We don't want someone, you know, leaving this earth because of um, an infection in the tooth. This is something that's easily treatable, even if they're on, you know, um, or if they have been in the past on, you know, blood thinners, or if they've had, you know, they've been on medication, you know, to help with their bones. Taking that tooth out, we know what the problem is. Let's take it out and let's, you know, let the person once again heal and be and, and have, you know, less discomfort in their mouths. How does this work? So if someone has been on blood thinners or um, you know, something to help their bones in the past, something that's been injected, then it is a conversation that I have to have with the physician. The right hand should know what the left hand is doing, right? So um, I have a conversation with them ideally. Worst case scenario, it's a medical clearance form that we provide to the primary care physician or the hospice physician. It has to be a physician, in Illinois at least, it has to be a physician. And once I have the clearance to be able to take this tooth out, then I go in there and, and do so. And nine times out of 10, this tooth is very happy to come out, shall we say. <laughs> um, it doesn't want to be there anymore. It's time it's done. So we take that tooth out and then of course I monitor and then the person can continue their life as it is. So absolutely, we do see that quite frequently. And it's, a, it's unfortunate. But at the same time, even during hospice, we can do this because once again, why should this person pass because of a dental issue? Not necessary. We can, we can take care of that. We can handle that. I think that it's great that dentists like you are not afraid to treat patients at the end of life and to do what you need to do because some dentists might be afraid of that or intimidated mm-hmm. by that scenario. So how did you become comfortable with this? Um, need, patients in pain. You know, I, I never would never, ever, ever want anybody to have the problems that my patients have had. And because of that fact, 
I would want to do everything in my power to have this person be comfortable, get this person out of pain, you know, do unto others, if you will. You know, I would hope that someone would be able to do that for me if and when that situation arises, you know, in my life. And to see, to walk into a home or even, you know, an assisted care facility, skilled nursing facility, and see this person in pain, you know, their cortisol levels are up because they're stressed out. They have inflammation, they, which is, you know, really impairing their immune systems as fragile as they are at this point. Let's do something about it. And that's where, you know, contacting the physician or the NP or the PA is so important. It takes a village, right? It's a hospice team. I am very grateful that a lot of the hospice teams, you know, have included me, have included Dennis into that fold, or at least, you know, to have me available as a resource, you know, a phone call or an email to say, hey, what do we do about this situation? It goes both ways. I'll call the PA, I'll call the the NP and be like, okay, we've got this situation. Let's have, let's talk about this. You know, you know, this patient better than I do. I've only seen this patient once. This is what my recommendation is. You know, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this with the medical power of attorney. Let's talk about this with the family. Let's discuss what we think is the best for the patient, pros outweighing the cons. And, you know, if the doctor feels that the patient is medically competent to have the tooth taken out, then then we go ahead and do so. And we, generally speaking, it's the stress now levels have gone down, the cortisol levels have gone down, and, and the patient is more comfortable again, and it's easier for them. And it's easier on the families too. So have you ever chosen to not treat a patient or to not subject them to an extraction or something like that? Have you ever elected more palliative treatment? Excellent question. So with hospice patients, it's kind of difficult in the sense of, do we put this patient on medication or not? When it comes to an abscess, and if the doctor truly feels that the patient is not medically competent, then we, I do recommend antibiotics. I don't want this person dying from sepsis, from a toothache, from from an abscess. When you have an abscess, an abscess is a bacterial infection that has traveled down the tooth into now the surrounding area and what is around the surrounding area, the bloodstream. And I don't want this oral bacteria getting to the heart, getting to the lungs, getting to, you know, getting to another place in the body that is now it's going to wreak havoc then I would like to have antibiotics placed. And I have done that. Um, I have, um, Per the approval of the uh, physician, we have placed the patient on antibiotics and um, an anti-inflammatory, especially if they're in pain. I had one patient in hospice who was unfortunately terminal with breast cancer and already on morphine, and they couldn't understand why morphine wasn't kicking this toothache. Morphine doesn't do much for the mouth, unfortunately. It has to be an NSAID. It has to be, you know, it has to be ibuprofen or Aleve, naproxen. It has, unfortunately, that's just the way it goes. Tylenol is not going to do it at this point. And so that's exactly what I did with this particular woman. Put her on the antibiotics. We, I put her on ibuprofen 800 milligrams and she was able to get out of pain in the last few weeks of her life. And that made me feel better. At least we tried, we did something for her, you know, because the patient was so stressed out about this that she couldn't be at peace. And this got her comfortable enough to be okay and not be so nervous, if you will, or upset about the fact that she's got this broken tooth. Absolutely. I do feel like there's always something you can do for a patient. There's something that you can do to help this person, even, even at the end of life. You mentioned before how you got involved because you saw a need. And I feel similarly, 
Now, beyond, I think, number one, needing to feel a, some type of calling or noticing that there's a need, or as you said, like just noticing that you would like to create a world in which you would like to age and live in. That's number one, I think, for finding a dentist to be qualified to do this is just feeling the need, having the call, and then also competency. We're discussing medically complex patients and a lot of dentists maybe don't have a lot of experience dealing with medically complex patients. What do you recommend for young dentists or new dentists or dental students looking to get into this field of home care dentistry for patients who are elderly or in hospice care? Um, Where should they be going for this information for training? That's an excellent, excellent question. So there are two different types of home care when it comes to dentistry. There's mobile dentistry and then there's house call dentistry. They are not synonymous. Mobile dentistry is the dentist or dental hygienist in certain states that are allowed to practice. Um, they, have, they have expanded function. They've taken the extra um, education to become expanded function hygienists, especially in more rural areas um, that can practice without under the auspices of a doctor. Um, and the I'm a house call dentist. I do not have a mobile van. I do not drive around with a fully functional dental office or dental room operatory, as we call them. Um, I go into people's homes. So I provide care in their homes. They don't have to leave their bed. They don't have to leave the facility. Everything is done right there. So just to start off with that. So there are two different, actually, there's three different ways. One is to join an association. Special Care Dentistry Association is wonderful. There's three different councils. One is geriatrics, one is hospital, and the other one is pediatrics. And, you know, joining um, an association like that is wonderful. When I discovered it just by (laughs) surfing LinkedIn, quite honestly, um, I fell into this amazing group of like-minded colleagues that are both educators as well as providers that we all do the same thing. We all have the same care and concern. And then we're educated on what can be helpful uh, for those that are interested in going into that. So special care dentistry, absolutely. Will you be then at their the, event in April? Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, 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 and I, oh, fantastic. And I presented last year. So that's oh, awesome. Great. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two, there's also the Mobile Dentists Association, um, which is run by two amazing expanded function hygienists. They are phenomenal. They have their event every year in Vegas. And so that is another wonderful way to get involved with, once again, like-minded dental professionals that will uh, be able to, once again, provide the education and provide mentorship and provide um, the experience to learn more on how to uh, treat this this very vulnerable population and fastest growing population, as I'm sure you already know. Excellent. Yeah, you have to be around a community and people who feel similarly because they can help you learn things, especially um, younger dentists learning from older dentists with more experience. So exactly I right. Love that there's recommendation. Also, there's also, yeah, there's also um, University of Iowa has one as well as um, uh, UCLA or UCF. I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me get this right. I think it's not <laughs> UCLA. It is University of Southern California, USC. They both have, and if there's others, I'm, I'm sure people will, will speak up um, about that they have um, residency programs. 
specifically for the geriatric population. Now, geriatric dentistry is not yet considered to be a specialty. Um, they're working on it with the American Dental Association. The American Dental Association is the one, is a power that will be able to allow that to become a specialty. At this time, that has not happened, but work has been involved going towards that road, going down that road towards the end of having geriatrics being a specialty. But suffice to say, those that are truly interested and are, you know, maybe still a dental student to look you know, across, you know, the country on different geriatric residency programs, their one-year programs. And USC also, for those that have been practicing for a while, they do offer programs that are offered during the weekends where you do have homework and then you, you meet up on Zoom and then you also have your classes that you have to attend on site at USC. And so there's, there's that as well. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Joy, thank you for meeting with us today. And I'm very, very grateful that you joined us this morning. Thank you for fitting us into your busy schedule. I'm very thank nice you. to talk to you. And I guess we'll get to meet in April in, in Dallas. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, great. Looking forward to it. Have a good day. You too. If you'd like to connect with Dr. Joy, please visit joypuscosumdds.com where you'll find a contact form and her email address. I can't wait to meet her in person myself. Even if you don't choose to pursue dental home care, consider supporting those in need of it by contributing to the Home Smile Care Foundation. The Home Smile Care Foundation is a nonprofit organization founded by myself and my loved ones to offer financial assistance to patients who struggle to afford at-home care. Please visit homesmilecarefoundation.org for more information. Thank you for listening to this very important episode of the Residential Movement. I know it wasn't the most chipper or lively, but it's such an important discussion. I really appreciate you listening. Thanks again. That's a wrap on this episode of The Residential Movement. If you liked what you heard today, please leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. If you know someone who could benefit from this info, please share this with them. All of those actions help fuel the residential movement. Thanks again for listening, Doc. Keep up the good work.